0: This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Yeah, yeah fundies called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stopping as bulls talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Alison Savas, thanks very much for making your Talk Your Book debut. Really appreciate you coming on the show. I thought if you could start with a little bit about Antipodes Global Funds and and what your guys' investment philosophy is.
1: Sure. Thanks for having me today, Chris, as well. Look, Antipodes is a pragmatic value manager. So valuations matter to us, but we don't buy stocks just because they're cheap. And look, traditional value managers do tend to wed to owning low multiple stocks with an expectation of mean reversion. Now, what that can miss is structural change in an industry, and that's where companies are um, being impaired or made obsolete by the competition. And, you know, we don't want to own those kinds of businesses, no matter how low that multiple gets or how cheap it is, because, you know, they, they can be that classic value trap. So instead at Antipodes, what we're looking for is resilient businesses that are cheap relative to their growth profile. So... The portfolio actually contains a collection of stocks across that growth spectrum. So we do have exposure to GDP plus light growers that are typically valued on low multiples, but importantly, they're market leaders and they're not under a threat of disruption. So a good example of that type of holding would be ING Bank. Then at the other end of the spectrum, we do have exposure to companies that are on optically high multiples, but they're growing at a genuinely high rate. And so a good example of of that exposure would be a stock like Microsoft. You know, it's valued at 25 times earnings, but those earnings are growing at 15 to 20% per annum. So that's not an expensive multiple to pay for that type of earnings growth. Um, And and Microsoft is cheap relative to its SaaS peers. So... Uh, you know, I guess the point is, is that, you know, there's a place for an ING and a Microsoft in in a pragmatic value portfolio. And look, compared to that traditional manager, we believe that more pragmatic style can provide that um, smoother journey through time, through the the investment cycle.
0: And what stock did you want to talk about today?
1: So today I wanted to talk about a company called Frontier. Um, And look, this is a pretty interesting company. uh, And it's a really simple story. So, Frontier is its a US-listed business. It is a fixed-line broadband telco company um, that actually went bankrupt around a year ago because its former management team just didn't bother with investing and in upgrading the network from copper to fiber. Uh, so the company lost a lot of market share to cable operators. It had a lot of debt, and then it ultimately went bankrupt. Now, it came out of Chapter 11 in the middle of last year with a new management team, that has a track record of rolling out fibre to the home uh, at scale in the US. Now, the US telco market is surprisingly uncompetitive. So only around 5% of the population have access to, let's call it, three or more genuinely fast broadband networks. Then the rest of the country is split into around a third that have a choice between one fibre and one cable operator. But then you've got a massive 60% of the country that either has the choice of one cable operator or no fast internet at all. Um, So outside of the big cities in the US, there's hardly any competition between networks. And I think you need to think about that alongside with, you know, this this streaming addiction that we all have today where fast internet is, is really critical. You know, I don't know what it's like in your household, Chris, But in mine, my kids don't even ask to watch TV. They actually ask for Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever streaming services are showing their their current, um, you know, favorite shows. So, and this has led to an explosion in bandwidth. Um, You know, internet traffic is growing at around thirty percent per annum, and and added to this, we've got this increasing need for uplink because of gaming and also cloud computing. So legacy copper broadband networks just can't cope with the the data load. And in fact, even cable is starting to reach a limit where uh, more incremental capacity is coming at a a really high cost. So fibre is... Uh, the future-proof broadband technology that can keep accommodating this increasing data load at, at a low cost. And Frontier is just really a great way to get exposure to that in the U.S. So Frontier specifically, it is an incumbent telco that has a copper broadband network that passes around 11 million residential homes in the U.S. So that's 8% of um, uh, U.S. residential locations. So, you know, it's, it's got a very decent uh, position. Now, in over ninety percent of these homes, Frontier has either no competition at all, or it's just got competition from one cable operator. So to remain competitive, Frontier is is rolling out, um, is aggressively rolling out fiber um, to the home uh, throughout their legacy copper broadband footprint. And and in a world where fast, fast internet matters, you know we think Frontier is going to be able to take market share, and. And actually, well, the other point that I think is really interesting is once Frontier, you know, launches their fibre overbuild, these markets tend to remain as duopolies because it can be really difficult for a third player to enter the market and make make decent returns on invested capital. And that's because Frontier already has, look, it has a cost and, and a speed to market advantage because it already has that right-of-way access, and that's really critical. Uh, And and so it just means that they can roll out much faster than any any third player would be able to. You mentioned the 11
0: million homes that they're they're already running through. Is that their total addressable market, or can they extend into new jurisdictions and really grow that addressable market over time?
1: Look, they could extend, but if, if they can just even roll out fibre to these 11 million homes, that is a huge opportunity for them um, uh, when you consider that, you know, they could, and, and certainly in terms of the company's own own targets, um, you know, over, say, let's call it a four to five year period, it's a little bit hard to pinpoint, but they're actually targeting, uh, you know, they believe they can get between 40 and 50% market share. So just rolling out to those homes is, is well, certainly it's a big job. But it is a huge opportunity before progressing into new into new territory. And I think, you know, they would face that, you know, they, they themselves would face that challenge of rolling out into new territories where they'd be the third operator, where, you know, those, those incremental returns on capital employed really start to diminish.
0: And you mentioned the the, the switch to Fiverr was one of the yes. key changes that the management made. It also yes. looked like they simplified the business with pricing and some other things was that an important factor going forward that it's now become a, a pretty easy business to understand compared to what they were previously look
1: i think compared to the real key in terms of that sort of thinking right the turnaround of this business the real key is in their old you know their former pre-bankruptcy life they just didn't invest at all um you know they've got this as i said this legacy copper network which just can't cope now they had instead of um you know, choosing to make that investment in fibre at the time, they just didn't do anything. Now, what they actually did do, though, um, was they didn't make their own investment, but what they did do was that they bought uh, Verizon's fibre-to-the-home asset. Now, they paid a very full price for that, and that's sort of what contributed to that, uh, you know, very high debt load of the company. Um, and they really did that MA as that sort of, uh, like I think about it as that last ditch chance of survival, um, and that didn't work because they didn't, it, it, the asset wasn't integrated properly. So, they, 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 so as, as, you know, poor integration, uh, they didn't continue to invest in the network itself and they didn't invest in customer service. So they actually ultimately uh, lost market share on, on those subs on, the, on that fibre asset. Now, what for us has been really critical in terms of sort of having that confidence to invest in this business when it's come out of Chapter 11 you know, in the turnaround is the quality of the management team, which we rate incredibly highly. So, um, the new chairman of, of Frontier, he actually came out of Verizon, so he built Verizon's fiber asset that Frontier ultimately acquired. So he has you know familiarity with, with part of Frontier's existing assets. Now, the other key appointment, which you know for us again is, has been really critical, is the new chief network officer. And she's in charge of rolling out fiber over the copper. Now in her previous life or previous job she was in charge of the fiber overbuild at AT AT&T so um, now in in that role she was actually rolling and this was a big job so she was rolling out five million passes per annum so this was it's it's the only sizable fiber overbuild in the US. And so she has a lot of experience rolling out Fibre to the home at scale. So, you know, we've got this new management team that's got knowledge of some of some of their existing assets and very, very credible experience. And, and, and they have shown that they understand the importance of investing, whether that's a network or customer service, um, because that is critical to taking market share.
0: And so we'll get to the financial numbers yes. shortly, but what sort of other metrics? Are you following with a company like this I saw in their presentation they're talking about churn and the improvements they've made there or even even floating their net promoter score, which I know some investors feel is important, other feel, others feel it's a, a metric made up by the company and perhaps not as relevant. Yep. Which of those other metrics are you zeroing in on outside of the financials that, that you're looking to, to monitor closely?
1: So for us, you know, the key, well, if we, you know, I guess, I guess if we flip it on its head the key risk for this business is that they don't achieve the capex rollout you know this is absolutely critical to this particular this particular stock so what we're watching is that they are actually executing on that rollout and so we think about that as passings now passings really are so as I said they're already passing 11 million residential homes with copper but they've still got to lay the fiber on top of that and so they still need to pass these homes you know again I guess now they're currently doing around 1 million homes in an annualized sense and their target at the end of this year is 1.5 million. Um, now, if I put that into context for you, so as you know, they're already passing 11 million, but there's actually, the companies identified that 6 million of these households are considered prime and that's from uh, population density Um, perspective but also household income and so that's their their sort of that's their their priority that's what they're targeting so it's really about getting these first six million homes Um, and as I said the target that they that they want to achieve at the end of the year is is one and a half million annualized passing so we a we've got to make sure that they're getting to that and the second thing that we've got to watch is Market share. You know, are they actually getting subs in? Now, the company's guide was fifteen or target in the first twelve months of having that fiber rolled out was fifteen to twenty percent market share or penetration per annum. Now they're actually achieving twenty percent, which is fantastic. So they're hitting that top end. Now the next target is thirty percent over over twenty four months. So that's our next thing that we've got to watch for. And then beyond that, as I said, they're looking at forty to forty five percent. You know, because we we do sort of think of these as being duopoly markets. So. I guess for us, what we've really got to watch for is are they investing? Are they, you know, hitting their, their, their passings? And are they getting that market share? Because if they're not, they're just not going to be able to make this, you know, get the market share and become a competitive business.
0: And talk to me through the financial metrics, maybe the market cap, their, their EV, and, and which, which financial metrics you're really zeroing in on.
1: Yeah, sure. So the way we think about so so the market cap of the stock is, it's only $7 US billion, so it is only a mid-cap. Um, now, once you add that net debt in... Not for uh, a penny
0: debt a an investor, Alison, that's, a- <laughs> <laughs> 7 billion. that's, a, that's <laughs> the most enormous company I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was going to say, look, it's not, it's, for us, this is, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're hitting down on the lower end of our, our scale. Um, and which, you know, that's the opportunity, right? Like, you know, you know, particularly in the context of the US, this is not a, not a mega cap, and so that's where I think the opportunity lies. Okay, $7 billion market cap, EV, your, your enterprise value, once you add in that net debt, is, is is $14 billion. Now, the way we think about this business is, and the way we think about the valuation of this business uh, or, or the potential opportunity, I think is probably, you know, the best framing. Um, If we put their existing copper and fiber assets on relevant peer multiples, we see 100% upside in this particular stock. Now, so that would be valuing your copper assets at, um, uh, it's around five times EV to EBITDA. And fibre at thirteen times. Now fibre is a bit trickier because there's no great listed peers, so we've really got to look to the private market to get a, a multiple here. Uh, but certainly in the private market, these deals are getting done at high teens. Now we've taken thirteen times, which is you know we, we want to be a little bit more conservative. So the existing assets on relevant peer multiples, we see a hundred percent upside. Now, the really exciting part of the opportunity is, is, this, is this additional upside, which comes from the overbuilding of that legacy copper footprint with fibre. Now, as I said, they're targeting that 6 million, those, those 6 million prime households. If they only roll out to those 6 million, there is substantial additional upside from there. Um, so, so we certainly do think that, uh, you know, there's a long way to go for the stock.
0: And talk me through... Some of the new technologies we know, Elon Musk with his Starlink, there's the blockchain protocol Helium. Can you see a world where new technologies potentially arise that do make um, sort of more traditional data providers and their technology obsolete?
1: Look, I think that is certainly um, you know that's going to be a risk in you know, almost in many companies that we're investing in today, particularly, you know, as technology is advancing so quickly. So, you know, look, you know, definitely in this particular instance, I think that, um, you know, do we see that as a risk? Probably not really in, in the near term. Yeah. Uh, it's not something we would ignore, but is it at immediate risk? No, probably not. You know, in fact, it's really fibre. Fibre is is replacing a cable. And in fact, we are seeing smaller cable operators um, start to invest in upgrading to fiber. So we feel like um, today we're on the right. We're on we're on the right technology. You know, given the evidence of those of the cable operators upgrading, um, in, in terms of what's next to come. Look, I, I think that is sort of some time off.
0: And talk to me lastly, the environment in the US is interesting, where we're seeing really sharp inflation that turned out not to be transity, transitory, unlike what we were all told it was going to be. You know, a company like this is essentially an essential service for people have broadband in a modern world. Should they look to raise their prices too much into the future, could you see a world where price controls get implemented on a company like this, albeit two to three years out?
1: Look, what's been interesting is that when you look at um, uh, uh, internet providers historically, they have actually historically been able to increase their prices by 4 to 5% per annum. Um, and that's because of a complete lack of competition in this in this uh, in this in this marketplace. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why we really like it. You know, it's that lack of competition, and they've historically shown that they have got a bit of pricing power. So, in fact, the way we're you know for us, and because you're right, the inflationary backdrop is a, is a very tricky one to manage, and what that means for equity market preferences. Uh, but in fact, the way we think about um, frontier is that it, it is actually uh, look, I, I, you know, it's not that it has a, it. It certainly doesn't have a direct link to CPI pricing. Doesn't have that direct link, but historically, it is shown it has pricing power, and so we actually think it's a good place to park some capital given that uh, inflationary backdrop today. Because I think what investors really need to focus on in in that that backdrop of um, more persistent inflation, which we think can continue out until the end of this year, because you know, as you mentioned. It's not only that the inflationary pressures we were talking about last year have turned out they're not transitory, but then on top of that, we've had the crisis in the Ukraine. And that's sort of adding a whole other layer of inflation with energy commodity, which will go into food prices. So we have got this persistent inflationary polls. Um, and then a bit of a question mark over what economic activity will look like. So you know, given particularly if this crisis persists. So at Antipodes, the way we're really thinking about this is we want to own resilient businesses that are um, uh, market leaders and can take profitable market share in a backdrop of both higher inflation and uh, a tougher economic environment. And we actually think Fronty really fits that bill. So uh, in fact, we've been buying it and it's, it's, uh, if it's not in our top three, it's certainly in our top five.
0: It's as good a place as anywhere to finish. You've sold it brilliantly and, uh, and walked through it every step of the way. So really appreciate your time. And it's a, it's a great story. Thanks, Alison. Awesome.
1: Uh, not at all, thanks very much, Chris.
0: This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. Please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets.